What if the effects of climate change were destroying your home? I'm Trisha Johnson, your regular host. Today, my colleague Marcy Krivenin is taking over. She's leading our special offstage series on nature and climate change. In this episode, she talks with a woman fighting seemingly impossible circumstances to save her country. Welcome back to our Offstage series. I'm Marcy Krivenin, podcast producer at the Aspen Institute. Today, we continue our conversation about the relationship humans have with nature. The Aspen Ideas to Go Offstage series goes into the issues that impact all of us. These conversations feature presenters at Spotlight Health, the opening segment of the Aspen Ideas Festival. In the Maldives, a tropical island nation in the Indian Ocean, climate change is affecting the way people live. Tilmisa Hussein is from the country. Climate change is really a cross-cutting issue affecting every aspect of life of a Maldivian, from the water you drink to the beach you go to the uh, ocean where you swim. With sea level rise and contaminated freshwater, will the Maldives become uninhabitable? And if Maldivians become climate change refugees, how will their lives change? Tilmisa Hussein thinks about these issues all the time. She's the former deputy ambassador from the Maldives to the UN and co-founded Voice of Women. It's a Maldivian organization that works on women's empowerment, human rights, and climate change. Thanks for being here, Tilmisa. Thank you for having me here. So you are from the Maldives, and I've never been. So tell me a little bit about what it's like there. How many people live there, and how would you describe the place? I think we'll first have to change that. You'll have to come to Maldives, for sure, <laughs> especially after this interview. <laughs> so uh, Maldives is a group of islands uh, stretching on the equator, uh, 1,200 islands off the coast of India. And we're about 400,000 people, but we have been living on these islands for over 3,000 years. And we have our own culture, we have our own language, we have our own food. And yeah, it's a beautiful place. It's, it's, it's also very low-lying islands in the sense of the highest point is about eight feet above sea level. On average, it's about four or five feet above sea level. And the islands are small. It has white sandy beaches. Uh, so you're describing a paradise. It is known as paradise on earth. One of the paradises on earth, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it, it's beautiful. I mean, I think we, we were saying yesterday that when um, people hear about the Maldives, one of the first things that comes to mind is climate change, right? You probably get asked this question all the time. How is climate change impacting your country? Yeah, actually, one of the questions I've been, uh, one of the reactions I've been getting at the festival is, so where are you from? And I say, from the Maldives. And then a lot of people know where Maldives is and about Maldives. Oh, wow, that is a paradise, that's beautiful islands. And then I say, yeah, it is really beautiful. And then the next question that is thrown at me is like, but aren't your islands going to disappear? Isn't the sea level rising and you're going to be underwater? I have to just kind of like pause for a second before I answer that. And I usually don't say what's on my mind, but then I try to be polite. So I say, 
Well, yeah, if we don't take urgent action to address climate change, uh, but uh, that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. We could change the course we are on and maybe it doesn't have to disappear. Right. It sounds like you've become an activist in a way uh, because of the um, direction, the path that your country is on because of a warming planet. Yes. Uh, I, I think anybody from a small island state uh, ha- cannot afford to sit back and not speak out because uh, a lot is at stake. And uh, yeah, so I think in that, ma- in, f- in that way, we are all activists. We, we have to speak out. We don't have much of a recourse if we don't speak out. How do you see it? In your life, this how do you see climate change impacting your life on the Maldives? So uh, we are seeing a lot of uh, impacts of climate change on ground. I would say one of the biggest challenge that we are dealing with right now is that most of the islands across the entire country, their freshwater lens has been contaminated due to saltwater intrusion. So you cannot actually use the freshwater in any of the islands. And the well water is the primary source of water. We don't have mountains. We don't have any other ways of getting water. And when this well water is uh, contaminated, then um, it affects our lives in so many ways. What we have resorted to in most of the islands is rainwater harvesting, which is great, but at the same time, when the monsoons have become unpredictable, it's not great. So we have occasions when many islands run out of water, so you actually don't have drinking water on the island, and it's not like you can get into your car and drive three hours somewhere and get water because you are living on an island. and. Uh, the National Disaster Management Center has to be activated to transport bottled water to these islands. And uh, we are also seeing a lo- lot of houses have uh, storage tanks for uh, harvested rainwater, but uh, they use it only for drinking because y- we don't have, most of the people don't have capacity to store enough uh, rainwater for to use for all the other purposes like cleaning and bathing and washing and even cooking some houses. So they still use the contaminated well water and we don't even know the extent and uh, of the diseases and kind of issues that we are dealing with because of the, the connections are not established because we don't have uh, any research done on ground as to what are the health implications of uh, using unsafe and Mm -hmm. contaminated water. And it's affected agriculture. So a lot of people, especially in islands where uh, they rely heavily on agriculture, they're not able to grow the crops like we used to grow in back in the days. And uh, people are people who invest in agriculture and are uh, is their livelihood are losing their livelihood because now they're investing but they're not getting the returns. So and the, they lose their crops. The crops need the fresh water. They need the fresh water, and also we are seeing uh, king tides, which we are seeing more frequently and with greater intensity. So when the king tides come in, they come like. 
a lot further inland and which is also contaminating the freshwater lands even more but also killing the crops and the frequency and the intensity at which we are seeing these king tides are really high compared to few years ago and a few years ago yeah a king tide is where is a tide that reaches inland further than yes okay is anyone's life uh, on on any of the islands not impacted or is everybody feeling sort of the um, the effects of this? I think uh, I would say all the Maldivians are living through the impacts of climate change right now. And uh, we are finding, trying to find ways to adapt to it and find solutions, alternate solutions, so that we can go on with our lives. So rainwater harvesting, trying to build more tanks, trying to find ways where we can put desalination plants in some of these islands. But desalination plants are really expensive. And again, ironically, they are also run on diesel and it contributes to climate change as well. But then when you don't have water, what do you do? And so it's like a real, there's no straightforward solution to it. We are battling it at many different uh, aspects. So I think climate change is really a cross-cutting issue across affecting every aspect of life of a Maldivian, from the water you drink to the beach you go to the uh, ocean where you swim, the fish you eat, it's affected uh, fisheries as well. So we are seeing uh, variations in the fish stock and Maldives is a country that relies heavily on tourism and fisheries. And these are the two industries that are going to be most impacted by climate change. Tell me a little bit more. You mentioned before we got on the microphones um, that the communities on the islands are, are using plants to build levees or to, to protect against flooding. Not plants necessarily, sea embankments for the sea. We are trying to figure out ways because we are experiencing high beach erosion in many of the islands and then we have to find out ways how to embark the beach. So whether it's like sacks of sand or trying to find ways we can grow mangroves or find... uh, I have read some studies where... Some countries have successfully implemented where they grow a certain kind of uh, plants around the uh, shoreline so that it protects the island a little bit better. But of course, it's not a permanent solution. It's just uh, uh, temporary measures or at least makes the problem less severe for right now and uh, prevent. we delay the inevitable. Right. What is what is the inevitable? Well, um, I think the inevitable would be something like um, we can't live on the islands anymore. So we were at this um, session uh, a little while ago, and um, Todd Stern, the former lead climate change negotiator for the U.S., he was talking. He was talking about uh, the Paris Agreement and um, the good things about the agreement as well as the compromise. And But also he uh, recognized that it was an agreement that needed, um, if scaled up, 
will really work, but we don't see that happening right now. And that was some of the fears we had even when the agreement was signed, though it was celebrated as this huge success. And some of the things that he highlighted was, yes, he, he recognized that, like, yes, to, to stay below two degrees Celsius is very important in order to uh, avoid runaway climate patterns. The, the storms, the extreme storms that we are going to be seeing and the disasters that we would have to come back. So to avoid those runaway climate disasters, we need to stay somewhere around two degrees Celsius. And, but 1.5 is where we actually need to be in order to ensure that small island communities like mine would survive. And uh, even to stay at two degrees Celsius to, to keep the temperature rise below two degrees Celsius, it, right now it looks very difficult because of the current commitments that the global community has made and the pledges. We are looking at around three to four degree warming right now with the existing commitments. So we are really nowhere hmm. near 1.5. And to get to 1.5, it's going to be extremely difficult. I'm not saying, I mean, it's not an impossible pathway. If there is political will around the world, we could still make it happen. We have a very small window of opportunity to make it happen, but it literally looks impossible. So, and then the sea level rise. Before the trajectories were around one, one or two feet rise in sea level, but the new reports show that we're going to be seeing about six feet rise in sea level before the end of the century. And all these changes are not going to happen overnight. It's going to be gradual changes. Right. So um, long before the islands disappear, it would actually become uninhabitable. Hmm. And uh, so my question even to him was like, so what are solutions? What are we looking at? Is anyone looking at these solutions? Um, what would happen to us as Maldivians? Where would we go? Right. Would we be, if we are going to end up as climate refugees, what would be our rights? Where would we live? Who would have rights to our territories? These are hard questions and questions um, to which we don't have answers and we have to look. For, and I think this is a great place to ask these questions because we are at Aspen's Ideas Festival to come up with innovative and new solutions to address these uh, huge global problems that we are having. And climate change is the greatest problem humanity is facing. The Earth is going to be there. This planet is going to be there. It's just going to change in a form and structure in the way like the ecosystems might change. But us as human beings, if we are to survive, we really need to scale up our ambitions and uh, ways in which we are going to address climate change. Mm -hmm. Well, and that leads to the question, everybody needs to play a part, right? And the United States, as we all know, pulled out of that uh, Paris Climate Agreement um, and, you know, climate change is a global problem. How do you move forward with progress when one of the biggest players in the world, you know, has, has pulled out of that? It just delays the implementation of solutions. So essentially what it, if you put it bluntly, what it means is 
we can find ways to save certain groups of people living in certain parts of the world, but we wouldn't be able to save most vulnerable populations. For me, the message that I got when I heard Trump is pulling out, first of all, Paris Agreement itself was so insufficient, so inadequate, it was a political compromise. A compromise that was a starting point and a point from where we need to drastically scale up and build ambition. And you're even actually pulling out of that compromise. So it's just delaying the whole inevitable course of uh, runaway weather patterns and everything that we would be dealing with. Uh, yeah, so it has a significant uh, implication for when you send in a very wrong message when you pull out of the agreement. But I also want to recognize that the private sector in the United States, at state level, the state governments and the private sector has really stepped up to the plate to fill that void. So what we really need to start doing is putting more pressure and mobilizing more resources in these sectors where we are seeing more momentum and movement, which we didn't used to see before, even if the federal government doesn't want to do anything about climate change. So that is a positive direction that we are going in, but it's not going to be anywhere enough to actually save Maldives. I think I honestly believe that we are at a point where we should start looking at uh, alternate solutions, just as it is hard for me to sit here and even talk about it, even to think about it, we, that we have to start looking at uh, solutions that would mean that we wouldn't be able to live on our islands, that we would lose our homes, that we wouldn't have a place to go. But I think it's important that we start talking about it. and figuring out what those solutions would look like and how it would look like. And I don't think it's like the international mechanisms that's going to find those solutions for us. We need to start looking at uh, private sectors. We need to start looking at foundations. We need to start looking at research centers. Again, Aspen Idea Center. I think this is like a great place to start looking for people to actually start thinking about how we can find or figure out ways to address these issues. Mm -hmm. Right. So your mindset has gone from preservation to um, a new path, potentially. I I don't think I, I, I have given up hope on preservation. I don't want to give up hope on preservation. It's, uh, it's not something I can afford to do, and I want to keep that hope alive, that there is still an opportunity. As long as that scientifically that window of opportunity exists, I will never give up that hope. But I think it's always good to prepare for the worst. And thus, we should start those conversations, but we should never give up hope on the possibility that or, or, on the option that uh, we have this window and that we need to really scale up ambition and everybody need to start talking about climate change, think about climate change and address it in a way that would save everyone's lives or at least allow uh, small island communities also to live in their homes and preserve these paradises on Earth. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I mean, it, there's so many ways that Maldivians 
depend on nature and now they are seeing nature um i don't know battling them or maybe i could just ask you like what how do you feel what is your relationship like with nature we we grew up around the nature so it's like a part of us the beach the water the the ocean the trees the birds it's a part of us so we 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 grew up surrounded by the nature we don't see it as a separate part as like we as human beings and then beach as a separate thing because we are so connected we every day we are living and using the resources from the nature and the ecosystems we are very closely connected to the nature the moldavians and i don't think uh, we see that uh, the climate change as uh, nature unleashing on us when we have such close connection to the nature personally i see that human activity is also causing this destruction to our nature and our planet so it's not us who is also suffering but the environment around is also suffering because of what we are doing right not just humans but um we are actually causing the suffering to the nature as well right so we shouldn't see ourselves as the victims yes it's not the nature we're the perpetrators yeah mhm absolutely well thank you thank you thank you for having me here Tomisa Hussein lectures on sustainability and global warming. She's a new voices fellow at the Aspen Institute. I'm Marcy Krivenen, associate producer and editor for the Aspen Ideas Festival team. Make sure to subscribe to Aspen Ideas to go wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Aspen Ideas year-round on Twitter and Facebook at Aspen Ideas. The Aspen Institute is a nonpartisan forum for values-based leadership and the exchange of ideas. Thanks for listening.